to me, especially a bright eyed 11 year old kid, like, oh man, I need to figure out who I am and what I want to do and, and who I want to be in this world. And this is one of those movies that helped me figure that out. Episode 5, Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. If you can give us a rating and or review on Apple, we'd really appreciate it. Help get the word out about the show. And this episode is a really fun one because I mentioned on the 8th grade episode a long time ago, a couple years back now with the past and future guest Jackson Smith, about how 13 was right around that time where post my uh, my grandmother's death that I was really kind of fixating on movies. I was using that as an escape. I think it was really the beginning of me becoming a, a true cinephile. And one of the first movies that I really remember that really crystallized as a movie I was really into uh, around that time was the first Wives Club. So it was a really fun discussion to delve into that movie here with Phoenix Cloudon from the Film Code podcast. It's not one that you would ordinarily think would have such a broad appeal. I mean, it's three middle-aged women coming off of, uh, you know, their cheating husbands and banding together for what seems initially, at least, and we'll get into that in the episode, to be revenge. And yet, 13-year-old Rob and, you know, young Phoenix were really, really kind of enraptured by that story. And there's something universal about it which we'll discuss, but that's now we're getting into the content of the episode, so let's just go ahead and get into it. Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. This episode, I am joined by Phoenix Cloudon of the Film Code podcast. Welcome to the show. Uh, Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, So tell people a little bit about who you are, what Film Code's all about. And then we'll kind of get into uh, the topic at hand. All right, sweet. Yeah, so uh, we started Film Code a little over a year ago. It's basically uh, four guys from Ohio. We we originally started out with four guys from Ohio. Now we're a little bit all over the place. Yeah, we just came together to talk about some movies that we love. And uh, the hook, I guess you could call it, a Film Code is that we play a game where we give a word, a phrase, and a couple of clues, and everybody has to guess what movie that is. So that's sort of uh, what we do. And it's just a way for us to watch more movies and talk about more movies. So if you like nice. movies, we're a movie podcast for you. Excellent. Awesome. So I want to hear specifically, when I reached out to you and we were going back and forth about getting you on the show, there was a, a bunch of movies you wanted to talk about. Like, <laughs> you gave me like several options. And the one that jumped out at me was The First Wives Club, which is what mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about today from 1996, directed by you, Wilson. <laughs> What are we talking about? Are we talking about revenge? No, I am talking about justice. Put it in there. Okay, First Wives Club, we'll come to order. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Don't you touch that. Drop it, you heat seeking Come on, stop it. You don't own me. Don't try to change me in any This is about justice. Sunshine, wake up and smell the earth. Happy days. That's all I ask of you. Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton. We're so 90s. We can help them rise, we can help them fall. The First Wives Club. Why was the First Wives Club one of the first movies you thought of to discuss? And, and then what was your first experience watching it? The First Wives Club is a movie that I saw, uh, I believe, in the year it came out in 1996. And I was probably around 10 or 11 at that time. And I just fell in love with it. I, I really did. I think it was something about it being a blend of darkness and, and joy that I really liked about it. And you'll, uh, as we go on, you'll find that most of my favorite movies kind of have that same blend But yeah, I just loved it. And uh, I think Diane Keaton was one of my first childhood crushes. (laughs) Yeah, just fell in love with the movie. And I've 
probably owned it in every form that it's had since <laughs> since 96. So I have it on VHS. I have it on DVD. I now have it on Blu-ray. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a bit of a bit of a big fan of this movie. Nice. Yeah. I have a few movies like that. This is this readily available on Blu-ray? Because I think I even tried to check it out and I was it was uh, not I think it's as easy to find as you think. Yeah. No, I think it literally maybe had been either th- last year or this year, like very recently where it was yeah. available on Blu-ray. Because that's one thing I wanted I wanted to mention, too, is that this movie was a huge hit when it came out. This made over 100 million in 1996. And it was the budget of 26 starring three middle aged women. I think all of Hollywood just like did a double like, wait, what? That can happen. <laughs> like, how does that? Because even the movie itself is very self-aware about once you reach a certain age. Right. You know, what, your, what they, your options they, are kind of limited. They yeah. say uh, bye bye, love. Hello, Pop-Tarts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite yeah. lines. Yeah. It's and uh, I think Goldie Hawn's character is like the, the three ages in Hollywood. <laughs> and it's like district attorney and then driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, and it's I feel like it's quietly one of the most iconic movies of the 90s and also uh, super ahead of its time. Like I, I feel like it's only available really to stream on stars and direct TV and it's not right. on any of the major streaming services. So that was yeah. What is it about this movie? that at such a young age that you connected to just other than Diane Keaton, I guess. Right. Right. I think Diane Keaton and, and to a lesser extent also Bette Midler, because I was a big uh, Hocus Pocus fan at that time too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was what drew me in. And then um, I don't know, like I said, like the movie kicks off with this really kind of dark thing that happens, you know, saying their college friend commits suicide by, you know, jumping off of a very high building and that's really, you know, not a not a healthy place to start. And mind you, right. I was a, eleven years old when I saw this, so it's like, wow, like, okay, we're we're taking in not just death, but suicide, and and you know, what I'm saying this this idea of the end of your, I don't know what you would call it, I guess, uh, attractiveness after a certain age, because you know her husband is leaving her for a younger woman, and I just like the idea of diving into that perspective you know what i'm saying obviously i'm not a woman over 40 <laughs> you know what right. i'm saying you know living in hollywood or, or wherever or new york or whatever so like this movie really doesn't have a lot of things that apply to me and at the same time it just i don't know it just resonated with me because i think not only did we start with that dark point but then we get so much joy from that you know what i'm saying we get these these three friends coming back together and reuniting coming up with a plan out of their shared, you know, anger and using that to, you know, empower themselves. And I just thought that was an amazing way to tell this story. And then it ends in the most joyful way possible of them singing that song together, which I like, honestly, I I can sing walking down the street while strangers look at me funny, but uh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Annie learns to be brave basically by the end of it. Absolutely. And I, I I was actually 13 when this came out. So it's kind of a similar to you. I watched it a lot over the years. I don't even know exactly how. I think I was sort of just primed for this movie in a way. Like you were saying, Hocus Pocus was a few years earlier. I was a right. big fan of that. We even have Sarah Jessica Parker in this, but no Kathy and Jimmy like cameo, which is feels like uh, a yeah. opportunity. Um, right. Goldie Hawn had been in like Death Becomes Her a few years earlier, which is uh, another movie which- I was a huge fan of. Love, love that movie. Love that movie too. Um, <laughs> maybe that'll be next time we get you on. We'll talk to right. the and then uh, and then Diane Keaton had been in like you know the Father of the Bride movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. So all of them were in that like family friendly sort of zone. Even though those some of those movies are not particularly family friendly, but this no. is PG rated and and yeah, I think it was it was really marketed as sort of this revenge comedy, kind of mm-hmm. nine to five esque and. There are elements of that here. I think that's what initially hooked a lot of viewers. You know, that, that's how it was promoted with Ivana in there being, you know, don't get <laughs> mad, get everything and all that. Mm-hmm. But what really struck me was what you were saying, that it starts out at such a dark place. And the movie has a lot of dark undertones to it. Like I, I, watching it now as an adult 
and not having seen it for, you know, probably a few years now, maybe, maybe a decade, even I showed it to my wife earlier on in our relationship. We've been together for 10 years. So now mm-hmm. it's like, Oh yeah. When was the last time I saw this? Um, <laughs> bringing in Stockard Channing was a great casting, but Very it good. really struck me as sort of a, a lighter version thematically, mind you, of something like mother where that movie, there's a million different reads on it, but my read is, Oh, it's about kind of, the the patriarchy coming in using up a woman for inspiration or mm. to make them feel young or a profit or gain and then being like okay i'm done with you right. and and moving on to the next basically that's what that movie feels like uh, it's about to me uh did you do you did you pick up on all of that like how that social commentary played into it uh early on at such a young age or was it more like oh i love these three ladies and they're being funny it it was i mean as, as a young man yeah it so was definitely question. it was definitely more the uh the comedy aspect that really yeah. hooked me and at that time i wasn't very familiar with goldie hahn and she was ended up becoming probably one of my favorite characters in the movie it's just so funny and like that character that she played was like genuine and 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 very self-absorbed and another sort of, I guess you could say, I was kind of primed from the beginning to like this uh, movie because one of my favorite shows as a kid growing up still is one of my favorite shows to this day, just watched it again last night, was uh, The Golden Girls. And they sort of fit those molds actually kind of similar to those characters. You know, you had Goldie Hawn, sort of like a Blanche character. You had Bette Midler, sort of like a Dorothy character. And you had Diane Keaton, sort of like a Rose character. And it was just th- that sort of character archetype that I really enjoy. It's just really, really funny. And the what I, what I loved about it in another show that I love currently is called Mom with Alice and Janney. There's so much rich comedy in that space of older women at, at a certain point in life. There's just so much untapped comedy there that I feel like movies like First Wives Club and in TV shows like Mom and Golden Girls really got a chance to really dive into and really explore and really make strong humor out of that. uh, I'm amazed that there aren't more shows or or movies like it because there's so much richness there from that perspective, from that point of view. Yeah. And it's it's kind of, you know, the old Hollywood kind of cliche that Mm -hmm. if you're not white and male and come and straight and coming from that perspective it's like well is there a market for you and then every once in a while something like crazy rich asians or black panther or you know captain marvel or whatever wonder woman will come out and everyone's like what how did this make a billion dollars (laughs) yeah you never really tried it before you never you 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 never tapped into that market and then when this came out and did so well (laughs) <laughs> they're all like oh it's a fluke we don't because there was talks of a sequel forever yeah. after this movie came out yeah. and i think the three stars were all interested in doing that mm-hmm. uh we're I'm, you know speaking of hocus pocus that's getting a sequel on disney finally Plus at some point yeah exactly um is that something you would even want to see at this point i mean clearly well, there's a market for it i feel like this movie has which we'll get into in a second. I feel like this movie has only gotten better with age and yes. feels more relevant and more like I'm seeing so many layers to it that I didn't see as a 13 year old kid laughing at the scene when they're on the like window washer falling down the side <laughs> of the building and stuff, uh, which there's a lot of funny stuff in this movie too, but it's the, it's the underlying themes and, and what you were saying, the joy that comes out of it that right. I, that I really, really hit me this time. Yeah. And I, I don't think they could do a sequel now i just think too much time has passed it would be it would be weird yeah. but there is a t- a television show of the same name currently on i want to say bet so where they're sort of taking the same approach of it this time with uh black women of a of a certain age and it's i haven't checked it out but i mean that's just the legacy of this movie right now where it's like yeah you can tell this story in different ways with different groups of people and still get, you know, a lot out of it. And I just think it's just such a brilliant story. And I was today years old when I uh, <laughs> found out that it was based on a novel. I really like as yeah. many times as I've seen this movie, it never dawned on me that it was originally a novel. And so finding that out today, I was like, oh, well, now I have to check that out because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how that slipped my mind. I've seen the credits a million times and never noticed, hey, 
based on a book by Olivia Goldsmith. Like, oh, okay, I should probably look into that. But yeah, I just think it's such a fantastic and rich story, a unique perspective that it can be replicated. But again, like, I don't think you could do the original cast again. Right. Yeah, it's it, it will lose. I think it will lose some of its impact. One yeah. thing that I noticed, you were talking about being today's today years old. I <laughs> just realized today because I was looking up the filmography that this is from the same director that did Police Academy. Yes. Which is the complete opposite of everything <laughs> I said about a movie aging well. <laughs> I had I miss somehow missed when I was a kid and I saw it like last year in the pandemic or something for the mm. first time. And I was like, oh boy. Yikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. A- 80s comedies. That's that's what yeah. we were dealing with. Uh, <laughs> how do you think this this film has aged with, you know, the hashtag Time's Up? And mm. I, I mean, Ivana Trump is is uh, weirdly right. in this movie. Right. Uh, not weirdly, because it's, you know, it's mostly set in New York and, and you know, that she was a big, uh, a big first big wife figure. Yeah. of the time. So that makes sense, but it, it makes it, it, it makes the, the underlying message uh, land even harder in, in Absolutely. 2021 watching it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like one of those things that'll definitely keep me coming back to it is just like, oh man, like, yeah, you, there's so much underlying stuff here. Like, you know, it's a very fun, lighthearted film but the underlying themes are resonant even today. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the sheer fact that we finally have the, the Me Too movement in what started, what, 2018, 2019, somewhere around there? Yep, something like that. And this movie was literally an entire Me Too movement <laughs> like in 1996. Yeah. It was literally that. And it's just great to, to see how things kind of uh, come back around. And uh, and just still work. And like, yeah, like you said, man, I think it it just lasts because it has such a strong impact and undoubtedly was good. You know what I'm saying? It was it was a good movie on top of, you know, saying having those uh, heavy hitting things and making it so joyful at the same time. It just worked, man. I think it was just a perfect comedy. It's also looking at it now. There's what I read as positive LGBTQ representation with Annie's daughter. She's very accepting. Yes. I mean, there's some, there's some, you know, jokes about the situation that being the gay bar and stuff, but it's nothing that feels offensive, particularly right. if anything that she, uh, her daughter, Chris weaponizes the news yeah. <laughs> against her father, which yeah. is, which is a kind of a fun twist playing off of his homophobia. And I, I thought that was, another way in which this movie doesn't feel like it came out of 1996. You know, no. when you go back and watch movies from your childhood, it's usually like, oh yeah, this is like, I, I've done an episode uh, recently on uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which is a mm. movie that I watched a million times as a kid. And it's usually <laughs> my go-to reference for films that have not aged well, where I watch it now <laughs> and I'm like, I love this movie because Jim Carrey. And also I'm so sorry I love this movie because <laughs> boy, not not a good look for for that right. movie, and this one is complete opposite. I'm like, oh, this feels like it, it feels like it came out last year. Like it, it right. feels not only timely but woke, I guess in a way. <laughs> First Wives Club hashtag woke. Yeah, exactly. Saying that's kind of crazy too, because like different sexual orientations wasn't like it wasn't taboo. I guess in my in my neck of the woods, it wasn't. Right. You know, what I'm saying it wasn't something that was everywhere and people were, you know, hush hush about it and very skeptical or anything like that. So when I saw it, it was sort of just like, because it was so matter of fact, right? It's literally her first scene. She literally just comes out and says, I'm a lesbian, right? Right. And I was just like, okay, like, you know what I'm saying? Her mom has like a question or two. And, but then like the next time we see her, she's like, you know, I just want to show her that I'm supportive and, you know, and I appreciate her. And I was like, see, me having not had that experience where homosexuality is, you know, this e- dark, evil thing or whatever, and seeing it put out there so matter-of-factly and so acceptingly, I was right. just like, oh, okay. Like, you know what I'm saying? For an 11-year-old kid to see that and just be like, okay, I guess that's how we treat people now. Yeah. Like, it, it's perfect. I'm like, and this is in 1996. And it's insane to me that, 
we're still sort of having any kind of discussion on this. When, you know what I'm saying? I was like, I wish I could tell people like, hey man, just watch First Wives Club. <laughs> like you'll get it, you'll get over it. <laughs> it's all you need to know, yeah. <laughs> no, and and it's it's telling that her Chris's father is the one that has the issue and her mother is just immediately like, oh, that's fine, whatever. Right. You know, it, it's it's the the and female it, it, perspective is, is represented well here, I think. Yeah, and I mean, even in his, I don't think it's like, you never see him like disrespect her or be, you know, right hate hateful towards her you know it's like he doesn't know until she finally decides to tell him and he just leaves like you know a a blank expression on his face (laughs) and you know and and it's never brought up again so like to me it was like okay like in my mind in my 11 year old mind I was like well they both accepted it great (laughs) like what what can you do so yeah I just I loved it as a, an 11 year old seeing this movie that's essentially about middle-aged people and their broken <laughs> marriages what was what was you know what context did you have for that and what were kind of your 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 thoughts about the way that the movie portrays those marriages I, I know that uh I'm forgetting his name now but Annie's husband mm-hmm. whose name escapes me and Stephen Collins who in, in real life became a problem yeah very as well that he's, I think, probably the the one of the three men that's the most villainized uh, and for a variety of for, reasons. For good reason. Yeah, definitely yeah. for good reason. I mean, yeah. Well, what was interesting was because as a male, that's, you know, this movie is from the female perspective. So you you try to find who you are in the characters that you identify with. Right. And I'm sitting up here and I'm like, Oh, Morty's a jerk, man. Like, like, <laughs> like, wow, that's awful. And then like, then you meet Bill. I was like, oh, that's cold. He's just a, he's just a, I, I don't want to say that, but you know, and, and then you meet Annie's husband, whose name is also Aaron. Aaron. I just looked it, it up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and his action is by far the most egregious and they're all bad, but his is just the absolute worst. And I'm sitting up here watching it. I was like, ah, crap. I want a divorce. But But we just made love. I mean, you asked me. I asked you out to tell you, but then you look so great. And I thought, geez, how romantic. You know, one last time, a goodbye kiss. But this wasn't just a kiss. Annie, don't be childish. You know how you manipulate me. What? Manipulate? I, I, what? Oh, my God. Is there someone else? Of course not. This is about us. But... it's Well, it's really about you, but... Babe, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is very awkward. No, 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 no. Annie was just leaving. You told her? I, I was totally up front. What? Excuse me? Annie, this is rough. I know that. Rough! Wait a minute. I don't understand. You are my therapist. I'm a woman. He is my husband. I'm that guy, aren't I? (laughs) 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 Like, like, oh, man. Because, no, I think it's horrible that he would seduce his wife and in the thinking that they could get back together. And then ultimately he's sleeping with their therapist. Like, wow, you're a jerk, but have you seen his therapist? She's gorgeous. Like, so <laughs> She's I know future Oscar winner Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay like, Harden. Incredible. And just in one of an one of a, a stealthily amazing ensembles in this movie, too. Oh, that, yeah. Like there's there's like 15 to 20 people in this movie that you would recognize from other things. Like, oh my gosh, Dan Hedaya, Elizabeth Berkley, Victor Garber. Timothy like, Oliphant. Like, Timothy <laughs> Oliphant in his screen debut. Exactly. His screen, it's like, whoa, like this is this is really high level. And apparently Jon Stewart was supposed to be in this as well, but they cut his scene. So like, yeah, this was a lot. This was a great ensemble cast. Yeah, and, and with Aaron, it's not only that he's sleeping with, with her therapist, that he uh, has sex with her, with his wife, and then is like, yeah, I want a divorce. And she's yeah. like, well, we just made love. And she's <laughs> Diane Keaton's, you know, nobody has a, a freak out better than Diane Keaton. Nobody. She, she got an Oscar nomination for Something's Gotta Give because of that crying scene, basically. Um, but then when she turns the tables on him, he is the only of the three to like try and kind of get physical with her too. 
Yeah. Like he he's he's clearly the one that's the darkest of the three uh husbands. And then Bill just is an, an idiot that made a, a dumb mistake by right. you know in in who he chose as his mistress. And then Morty is sort of redeemed by the end. I think Aaron is just like the one at one end of the spectrum, and Morty is kind of on the other end, where like like um like Brenda says, he's a very good, very confused man. Yeah. Uh, and he sort of finds his way back, I guess, by the end. And, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like as a man watching this, or as a kid watching this, as a boy watching this, I was just like, yeah, do we suck? Are men <laughs> like, it, it's kind of the vibe that I had watching uh, Promising Young Woman last year. Right, I was like, right. man, men are the worst. Oh my God. Um, which, you know, large, generally speaking, and like in the world and the way the patriarchy is set up and all that, like, I mean, not not a false statement, you know. Right, so right. in this movie, it's just like I guess I, I'm Balky Bronson Pinchot's character, <laughs> which is who's who's the like because it's the three husbands, uh, Timothy Oliphant, the director, and then um, let's see, and then the you know Uncle Carmine, basically. Uncle Those Carmine. are your options. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so who did you latch onto either in the male side of things or who which of the female characters did you kind of either identify with or whose arc were you most drawn to? I would say Annie's. I think I was most drawn to Annie's arc because I felt she was uh, the character that needed the most redemption. Yeah, um, and and also because through this messed up, god awful like really strange and, and dark situation, she figured out who she was. And that's to me, like, especially a bright eyed 11 year old kid, like, oh man, I need to figure out who I am and what I want to do and, and who I want to be in this world. And, you know, this is just one of those movies where it's like, this is one of those movies that helped me figure that out. Like, yeah. The, the whole goal in that in her story is just to be a better version of herself. And that's something I absolutely admire. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it's, it's a journey that a lot of women specifically find themselves on because they are so defined by their relationships absolutely. by, by, you know, back in the day, you know, who was like, well, you need to get married and, and right. start a family. And that was like the goal and and these you know as as they say in the movie they're, they're women of the 90s what are they, you know what do they want like what are they what are they after and i think it is that it's sort of self identification and the this just the sight of seeing these three strong women you know dressed in their identical white suits mm-hmm. running this company with such a positive uh mission is already like in in itself really inspiring or empowering i think for male and female viewers. And so do you, do you find, you know, do you find this movie empowering in any other ways or, or is just the anything mostly? I feel like it's, it's also kind of uh, entrepreneurially Very. Uh, inspiring too. It's like, yeah. Hey, maybe I could start a business and exactly. find my place, make my it's, own place. Basically. It's always been funny because this is like literally been one of my favorite movies since 1996. And the, the, the relationship that I have with it is like, no matter who I, uh, encounter and i'm like hey do you want to watch a movie and they're like sure and i'm like what do we want to watch and i'm like the first wives club (laughs) and i'm like (laughs) and i introduce pretty much all of my friends and family members to the first wives club and it's always been hilarious to me to see their responses and like you know one person whom I, i shared a lot of my uh film taste with was was my mom and my mom has a very different uh taste in film than I do and mm-hmm. so by like the not even the midway point probably about 15 minutes in she was like why am I watching this movie about cranky <laughs> old white women and I'm like because mom it's great <laughs> it's fantastic and you'll learn so much and she was like no turn it off <laughs> but <laughs> I love I love introducing people to uh through film and this is always like my go-to film to introduce people uh, into my world because I just think the empowerment is great. The story is great. And there's that, there's so many of those dark underlying themes with, with almost practically every character, you know what I'm saying? You have um, Elise who's you know, struggling with uh, plastic surgery addiction and, you know, uh, alcohol addiction. 
Yeah. And you have Brenda who's dealing with depression and anxiety and body image and all body yeah. image. Yes. All of that. So I'm like, to me, what I loved about this movie was it gave me a new perspective on, on, on people whom I don't see, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's always the, the, the goal for film is to translate a story that you're unfamiliar with and, and introduce you to a world that you don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't know any 40 something older white women dealing with these issues, but now I know three, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I know three and they exist Absolutely. and I know they exist in this world and I love this movie for them. You know what I'm saying? So that's always how I felt about it is like connecting people to people whom they've never met. And that's part of the reason why I think it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Wow. Well said. I, I, it's like, I think Roger Ebert once, uh, once said that he, he compared movies to empathy machines and it, it's kind mm-hmm. of encapsulates everything you just said. It, it's, it's exactly, it's exactly that me being 13 watching this movie and, and connecting to that on some level, getting, getting a sense of what that journey is like is, is a powerful thing. And you know, the movie is marketed as, uh, being about, you know, three cranky white ladies, but it's also, <laughs> but, it, but it, it's, so much more than that. And I think that's why it really works so much, uh, so much better in a way when you're an adult, because you see that it starts out about revenge, like they say in the movie, uh, but it ends up being, how do you take the trauma that you've experienced, the issues that you're facing Mm. personally Mm -hmm. and flip that and, and serve your community or help others who are dealing with the same thing. I mean, there's that really dramatic scene in the movie with, uh, when Elise is drunk and they're having their three of them are having their big fight. You both have severe psychological problems. And I see I'm 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 the nice one here. I'm 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 not like this. What? what? <laughs> yes, nice one? Well, oh I mean, my I, god. You oh mean god. the rag mop, Excuse don't you? Me? I mean the one who can't manage a simple declarative sentence? The whip, the what? Oh, well I well, I changed, and I'm, I'm much stronger than I used to be. Oh, you are self-righteous, you pipsqueak. Oh, you shut up, you are you... the next sex kid. Oh, shut up, Morty's girl. Mom, you care about Morty, Morty, stop it! You're both selfish assholes! wondered how how drunk do you think Cynthia was when she decided to do a jackknife on a Park Avenue they're pointing fingers and golden globes are being thrown and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> empty alcohol uh, bo- liquor bottles are being exposed and all that stuff uh, but then there's a <laughs> line where Brenda says after Annie storms out where Brenda's like you know I always think how you know how basically how drunk do you think Cynthia was when she when she killed herself because Elise is the one closest to reaching that, that sort of desperation. And I think that's a really powerful moment where they can either fall apart or they can band together and, and persist and persevere through what, you know, air quotes, the man in this case, their Mm -hmm. husbands uh, has done to them and how they've been victimized. And I think that's a really rich metaphor to that for women or, or anyone that's really kind of been through that kind of trauma to, you know, you can react to one of two different ways in this movie, they address the first option and then they turn it around and, and into something so positive and inspiring where Elise gets sober and there, everyone's trying to like, you know, practicing self-care and getting their shit together and, and serving the community by opening this crisis center. And and I think it's really, you know, it's that side of it that it was much more moving to me now watching it than as a kid when you didn't really, you don't really, you like, you get that, but you don't really feel that. Yeah. Right. And uh, that scene in particular is such a strong scene because it's at that moment where you realize all of those dark uh, elements are coming into play. Uh, you know, we're seeing Elise's alcoholism kind of tear tear her apart. And Brenda, who we know is insecure and, you know, 
is dealing with that issues. She's being the brave one by challenging Elise, pretty much hiding her insecurities and, and or at least hurtling them at someone else, you know, needing a person to vent that off of. And then you have mm-hmm. Annie, who's so soft-spoken and trying, you know, saying not to be a bad person, trying not to be combative. And all of them are dealing with their issues in that moment, and they don't really know how to deal with them. So they just blow up at each other. And it's like, again, that's not something that you w- would notice as a, as, a, as a kid. But as an adult, you start to see it and you're like, oh, wow, like that's heavy. And the best comedies, I think, have that sense of heaviness to it, that underlying layer of their characters that makes them not only funny, but also real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, this could have easily been the sort of uh, Angela Bassett burning the car and and Mm -hmm. waiting to exhale or like uh, Carrie Underwood before he cheats kind of like, yeah, get him girl. That kind of movie. And the fact that they didn't go that direction, I think is a testament to, the vision that the uh, you know the director and and these three ladies brought to it I, I think you get that strength of material and you get these three you know legendary actresses mm-hmm. in this film i believe two of which have oscars uh, which yes. makes that, that bet midler moment where she's where she picks up the oscar kind of interesting because she's like hey i never got one of these what's up <laughs> um, <laughs> and in man and there's a, the, a meryl name drop which feels oh, yeah. very <laughs> becomes her referency because uh, Goldie Hawn was just it was in that with her and um, yeah I, I think it's it, it, t- it tricks something that could have been kind of vengeful and makes it into something positive and I think the aspect of it I think helps has helped it stand the test of time but yeah looking that, at sort of yeah go ahead yeah that's that I was gonna say that's that transition from dark to light that yep. uh, it really does well it's like there's these really heavy moments but that joy the joy not just uh, in the final scene, but all throughout the movie is is played so well. Like you mentioned that scene where they're falling <laughs> in, in the window cart is pricelessly funny. I mean, it is it is richly funny. There, uh, there are times now I'll rewatch it and I'll see different things in it that are just, again, just great classic comedy. Like the, the couple, they're like shouting at her like, oh, you look great. And you, if <laughs> yeah. you see like off in the corner, you'll see like Bette Mittler who gathers what they say and she makes like a weird, funny face as she like presses the button for them to keep going down. It's such great, sharp, really funny comedy. And the reason that it works is just because there's that darkness, but there's so much joy. And even in that moment where it's like looking like they're fearing for their lives, then when they finally get off, you hear Bette Miller say, y'all want to go again? Like, <laughs> it's, go again? Yeah. Like, like, it's just great funny, great humor throughout. What would you say is, is the funniest scene or sequence in the movie? Because I feel like it's, I feel like that, the pen, Morty's penthouse sequence is really probably the most broad that the comedy gets in the film. But it, what is what is kind of the the you know, the funny part that, that I think stands out for you. Man, that is tough. <laughs> pretty much whenever um, the three of them are having a conversation, it's pretty, it's kind of golden. I think. Uh, I, yeah. Oh, oh God. I'm, oh, I'm thinking right now and I'm just like, <laughs> there are so many. Oh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. They're, they're just too many. <laughs> uh, you get that, that scene at the, at the restaurant after the funeral with the, kind of a mini montage uh, of them yeah. having a random conversation so about, good. about Elisa's plastic surgery, about like right. what their lives are like. Right. And then I, I think uh, Elise and Brenda sort of realize that Annie's marriage is about to fall apart too. It's and then Annie doesn't, she's like, you know, we're fine. We're together. We're great. <laughs> we're great. And they're like, uh Oh, We've seen, right. well, we've lived this before. Uh, <laughs> it's it's that sense of community and and uh, exploration. I think of female friendship. Right. That's that's really I think that really helps sell all of that. But of these three ladies, you know, you mentioned Diane Keaton being kind of a, a childhood crush. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think is the MVP? Because it, it's really tricky. I feel like it changes every time we, every time you watch it. Yeah. Uh, because Goldie Hawn was was kind of a last minute addition. She was right. like I think the last one 
brought in, Diane Keaton was was first, which makes sense because uh, Annie is essentially if you if you if you nail down a specific protagonist, it's yeah. told from Annie's point of view. And I agree with you. I think Annie's trying to like find herself. I mean, they're all trying to find themselves, but and re re redefine who they are and without right. without their you know these long term relationships in their lives. Um, I think Annie's journey of trying to stand up for herself that's probably the one that I identify with the most as well. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean a little bit of Brenda's too. I I, I there's a lot there's a lot think, to dig into and I think yeah go ahead. I, I don't know. I think it, you would have to split that MVP into three different trophies because right. I mean it, it's you, true. Yeah, you got like one who's like bringing the heavy on the comedy. You got one who's bringing the heavy on the drama, and you got one who's just killing it acting wise. So it's just like it's like oh man yeah they're all they're all fantastic in this movie and uh. Another person, oh God, I'm gonna blank on her name, um, who is fantastic in this movie is Maggie. Is it Maggie? Maggie, Maggie Smith? Smith. Maggie Smith. There it is. Yeah, Maggie McGonagall Smith is, uh, from Harry Potter. Yes, yeah. uh, you know her as that. I know her as uh, Sister Mary. Uh, Sister Mary Clarence, sister, yeah, uh, sister, yeah, in, in Sister Act. So it's or, like, or it's a mother. She's a mother superior. Yeah, mother superior. Mother superior. Yeah. And Sister Mary Clarence is, is Whoopi, I believe. Yeah. So like, yeah, oh, I love those like, movies too. That that would be another interesting one to talk about. We have <laughs> exactly. lots of options, Phoenix. So yeah, it's like just MVPs all around, dude. This cast is yeah. outrageously good, outrageously good, and just the funny man is it's in every scene. Ah, I, I, I got it. The funniest scene I think of when I think of this movie is Eduardo uh, talking about fixing their apartment and just yeah. the way he the way he reacts to everything like he screams at the chair and like just design like talking about the stairs and that, everything that, just, that, yeah that chair is agony <laughs> yeah the, the 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 windows are the eyes to our like yeah him just vamping Right. And, and the movie makes it a point early on to establish that he's one of the worst interior decorators <laughs> in New York. So masquerading as, as one of the best only because Maggie Smith's character right. recommended him. Um, yeah, the way that this movie kind of plays, they, they use the uh, they use privilege and wealth oh, yeah. and status also oh, as, yeah. as, as a, a key part of their plan with Elise kind of bankrolling things and, mm -hmm. and Maggie Smith's character influencing Sarah Jessica Parker to, to all, you know, to bid on things at the auction and buy the car <laughs> and all scene. that stuff, <laughs> um, which comes back in a hilarious way at the end when Victor Garber is out, Bill's outside and he's like, Oh, nice car. I used to have one. <laughs> <laughs> really like car, um, which is hilarious. Um, there's a lot of really fun twists like that, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think comedy wise that, that whole, like I said, the whole, Morty's whole penthouse thing with oh, yeah. uh, with Duardo uh, is probably the standout. I think. Yeah, because I mean, I, I forgot like they're all up hiding in the office, you know, trying to gather information. Yeah. It's just great stuff. And I forget the scene where they walk in the bedroom and she sees the bed and she like cries on it. It's like yeah, great. You see a little stuff. bit of emotion and poignancy there in that right. moment too, because like. Yeah, they're they're so focused on their plan, and then it's like it, you know it, it kind of hits her all over the pl all all over again. And then Brenda has that other another scene similarly where her son is is upset and depressed, and she finds out it's because uh, Morty's gotten gotten engaged to Shelley. Right. And you know she kind of she gets that now hit, hit with that news as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's wow. It's really funny. <laughs> do, you, do you think this movie though is supposed to be a, a satire? Because I was looking at some old reviews, and there's hmm. a, it's like a satirical bite, or and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, what movie did you watch? I didn't really <laughs> feel like this was a satire. I don't know if the book is more like that, maybe, right. and it, and it kind of got softened into because uh, I would consider this ultimately a feel good movie. You walk, it ends on a musical number, right? You right. walk out of there like basically ready to like take on the world, know, dance man. down the aisle. You right. know me, you know. It's like <laughs> that's. It, it's an empowerment, feel good, crowd pleaser. I never yeah. read this really as a satire, social commentary. Yeah, but not you know, it's it's not exactly going I mean, for that. In my I, I guess I guess I could kind of see where they're coming from because the idea that you know, I, I get okay, yeah. I guess the idea that they're coming from is like 
where you could see the satire is 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 in the plan actually working out, right? Like right. the idea of women banding together and getting revenge on their ex-husbands seems like seems like seems like satire. Seems like a comedy that could never happen, really. And and I guess I get that, but in in that sense, I still wouldn't even think of it as a satire because to me, it's more of a of a comedy drama you know what i'm saying like you can have fantastical things happen in that realm but like a satire would to me permeate the entire film right and i just don't i just don't think there's enough of that there to even let that idea cross my mind so yeah i don't know what that guy was getting at (laughs) like (laughs) i can see what he's trying to say but there's there's not enough there to even make that point I think the brilliant thing about this movie, too, is that, like I said, it's marketed as a sort of revenge comedy, like, oh, watch them stick it to these guys, which leans into kind of the 90s where it's like, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, battle of the sexes, et cetera, et cetera. And you get that to a point, but it also kind of poisons the, the, the women to an extent because... You know, they're carrying that negativity, that hate, that bitterness, that resentfulness right. in their hearts. And that's ultimately what happened with Cynthia is that it, it overwhelmed her and she, she drowned in it and just couldn't found, found, didn't see a way out, basically. Right. And so they reach that point. But then it transcends like the last 30 minutes. You're out of that movie and you're into an entirely like their their entire focus shifts. And the you without that scene of them all sitting the the husbands down and like this is about justice and I right. and I think making it's kind of them just how can we take advantage of this situation and do something bigger and and better with it and, and flip flip it on its head and yeah get back at these guys because like Brenda said they have it coming they do. Uh, which the movie, the movie, you know, makes a compelling case for why these guys <laughs> have it coming. And, and you get lots of, you know, funny scenes of of them getting the Victor Garber, Bill handing the check over and like bursting into tears. <laughs> uh, so you get a lot of that where you're like, yeah, screw these guys. They're dumb. Right. Um, but but you also get the message that it at some point you have to move past that that trauma. The and, and, and the trauma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and do something with it. And I think that, you know, what are, what's kind of your takeaway from that and like your read on, on that side of it. Cause to me that that's what I feel like the movie is ultimately about, you know, the story is, or the plot is these three women getting back at their ex-husbands, but what it's really about is, is essentially that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like I said, just transferring that darkness into light and the amount of joy that you get out of it, especially because we end on such a high note. And even as a kid, like it's much more, it's much heavier these days, but even as a kid, I was always big into musicals and any movie that ends in a musical number or has music (laughs) in it, you're going to win me over like without question. So like, yeah, just ending on that level of joy out of all of this you know, crap that they endure. I just, I'm like, how do you not fall in love with this movie? <laughs> like, right. it's impossible. So I just, uh, yeah, everything you said about it is 100% spot on. It's just, it's riotously funny. And then it has really great underlying themes, really strong characters, great acting. And the comedy's top notch, man. And it just, it ends with such joy that I, uh, I can't deny it. How do we feel about the fact that Morty is essentially headed towards redemption at the end of this? Like, what do you, how do you think that squares away with everything we just said about, man, these guys suck. Right. Uh, and, and kind of what their, their crimes are in this movie. Well, I don't, I think Morty's the most, well, the least egregious out of the three. And For I sure. think that's part of the reason why he, they're headed towards redemption. His, his whole thing was sort of like, sort of like Brenda's, where it was like, you know, he reached a midlife crisis and, you know what I'm saying, he wanted to recapture his youth and, you know, he was feeling pretty insecure. So I think he is sort of like the male amalgamation of all three of the women, where it's like, yeah. you know, he just wanted to feel young. He wanted to, you know, feel 
more empowered. And, and Brenda is obviously a towering character. He was probably feeling small around her. But then he goes to this younger woman and he still ends up feeling very small. You look good, friend. You too. Thank you. Where's Shell? It's in the car. Glove mm. compartment? The trunk. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Was I this old when we were married? Yes. But I liked you this old. Me too. So, like, I think for him, it was just the realization that his life was better with Brenda, <laughs> like regardless of what he thought. And you know what I'm saying? And he he probably, you know, you see it in that final scene with the way he uh, shuts the door of the of the Lamborghini. It's almost like he doesn't want it. You know what I'm saying? He's sort of saying goodbye to that life and wanting to even go to that event, you know what I'm saying? Just to support Brenda. Like, obviously, he still obviously felt that there was something there worthy of saving and yeah I just I don't I don't think he's the most egregious out of the male characters he's definitely he definitely messed up but he seems the one to accept it more than anybody else right which is interesting too because he's the one that has the most uh the most criminal record of the three right. of them Right. Too that that I think you know he he realized he's like yeah I screwed up I'm paying for it, but also I'm not happy with Sir right. Jessica Parker. Right. Um. You know, Which I, is the, insane, the way he says okay. you're not Brenda. <laughs> the way he says she's like I'm not Brenda, and she's like no you're not. Really not. She's like duh, and he's like okay yeah I'm not feeling this anymore. Like it was more of a, it's more it is like you said it was an insecurity thing. It was him to feel young and important, hence the earring and the motor. I think right. he mentions a motorcycle too at one right. point. Like he, he, and Dan Hedaya is such a skilled actor that he can toe that line where, where he is endearing, but also villainous at, at varying points in this movie. And I think he, he balances that really well. Yeah. Uh, so going back to seeing this movie now, it, it really, I think for me worked a lot more than it did as, as a kid because I saw so much more, so many more layers to it. Uh, so it's it's always nice when you go back and watch a, a childhood favorite and be like, okay, it wasn't just nostalgia. This right, is actually right. good. And, and my read of it actually deepened. My appreciation of it deepened. Is is there anything, before we kind of start winding down, is there anything about this movie we haven't talked about? Uh, any member of the ensemble of which <laughs> runs deep? And, right. Um, and uh, or, or a particular moment you wanted to shout out. Uh, you know what? There is one thing like and and this is this isn't even a critique or anything like it's just one of those things where I was like, oh, I wish they did that. I wish that we could have seen more of uh, Elisa's play at the end. Um, yeah, that would I just true. felt like that would have been really cool as like, you know, not nothing major. We have to see like the whole thing. But like, you know, if there was a deleted scene that showed a scene from the play, I would have really appreciated that. Uh, just because, you know, I feel like you don't need it, but it's like, why not? You know what I'm saying? Why right. not go for it? Uh, so that's not really a critique or anything, but that's just something that I would have loved to see. Um, I would, you know, in this day and age, sort of get on this movie about the lack of diversity. But at the same time, I'm like, uh this isn't a movie where you need a diverse perspective. Like mm -hmm. the perspectives that we have are diverse, maybe not in terms of color or uh, different points of view, but that right. point of view is in itself diverse because it's one that most people aren't familiar with. So I, I wouldn't rant, I wouldn't get down on it for that. It's just like, you know, looking at it from a 2021 lens, you yeah. know, They're like, yeah, did this, did this all like, the ensemble cast we were just saying did all like 20 of them have to be white people like, right right you know one we have one lgbtq character of the bunch and everyone else is just you know straight white people yeah i agree also I think though, were, uh, go ahead also yeah. i want to point out uh i didn't realize this until probably like a year or so ago um one of the women that approaches goldie hawn in uh the the gay club is the chick from Orange is the New Black. I can't remember her name, but uh, yeah, one of the one of the characters in Orange is the New Black. I was just like, it's crazy to me to think that, wow, she's been working this long. Like, and 
she had like a small little cameo role in the first wise club and i literally haven't seen her in anything until orange is the new black comes around so like that's crazy but yeah she was in there too so add on top of that incredible ensemble yeah for sure for sure and i think the the you know they that's part of why they re when they redid the this property as a tv show that's probably part of why they went with women of color in the lead just because it's you know it, it was so so white this movie and I think <laughs> if, if there is if there is a an a a issue by today's standard i think that's probably the biggest one I, I, you're spot on there for sure right so yeah great movie still holds up tell people who haven't seen this movie why they need to check it out, blind buy the Blu-ray or rent it on, on a streaming service. What is it about, what is it that makes the First Wives Club special and why should people seek it out? I, I am a huge advocate for joy, right? Any movie that exemplifies and shows true joy. I think, you know, you can always watch the movies that deal with tragedy. You can always watch the movies that deal with action and horror, but joy is so rare. It's so rare. And, and when you see movies like that, those do become some of your favorite movies because joy is a, is a feeling that so we so rarely get in today's age. You got to find it somewhere. So like if you're a fan of just celebration of life and personality and who you are check out the first wise club it's just such a fun joyous film yeah with wild rewatch value too like this thing as we as we've been saying watching it over the last you know this movie turns 25 this year uh over the last 25 years it it it, as feels like it's gotten better Uh, and like i said more more potent thematically and uh yeah i i agree with you wholeheartedly are there anyone any movies like this that you would recommend to people that have seen this and like yeah yeah first of all i've seen it what what else is there phoenix that captures that kind of joy uh that that you're you know you're always looking for in movies oh there are so many uh so as we were talking i i thought of others um if you have not checked out sing street uh god i'm so glad you brought up sing street any opportunity (laughs) To talk about Street, 100%. <laughs> life-affirming in a way where you're like, God damn, I need to go do something. With yes, my life. so um, life-affirming. Yes, it is such a life-affirming film. Again, joy is there. Music, you know, I love musicals. It literally jumped into my top five musicals that I've ever seen, uh, like literally last year. So I'm Drive it like huge, you stole it, you know? Right, I mean, exactly. I'm a huge proponent of that movie. Sing Street is amazing. If you're looking, uh, if you haven't, I don't know how you haven't caught Sister Act at at some point in your life, please check out Sister Act. You again get to see uh, Maggie Smith again. So there's that. Uh, One of the other movies that I was thinking of is a movie called Once. Yeah. I believe it's called Once. Yes. Again, just a joyous musical film will hit you in the feelings. No doubt about it. Uh, just incredible stuff that I like. I love celebrating joy. So those are some that you could check out. Oh, also one other female-led movie with a older cast. Uh, if you're into that as well, is a movie called Calendar Girls, starring Helen Mirren. Uh, it's about a, uh, it's a, I believe it's a UK movie about a group of older women who are looking to raise money for a project in their community and they decide to pose nude for a calendar it is based on a true story it is worth checking out just for helen mirren i promise you it's a fun funny movie just just from that aspect alone and getting that perspective you can't beat it so calendar girls is another movie i would uh, recommend people check out nice nice really really good picks sing street especially i will put an asterisk by because yeah wow (laughs) And that's a movie same from the same director as once that I didn't see coming. I was just, I saw the trailer. I was like, that seems cute. I'll check that out. And then I was floored by, but yes, all of those definitely check those out. Phoenix, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Oh, sure. Uh, You guys can find me on Twitter at I am H O reviews one. That's the number one. I'm also on letterbox under PA Cloudin. 
And you guys, please, I, uh, above all else, check out the Film Code podcast. Uh, we are available wherever you get your podcasts and you can find uh, the show. We tweet on Twitter, on Instagram and on TikTok at Film Code Pod. So check us out there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Phoenix, for coming on the show. This was a this was a lot of fun. Like I said, this is a movie that I have a long history with as well. And I haven't revisited for a while, certainly in in you know, in the last few years when, like I said, I feel like what this movie has to say is way more relevant or way more at the forefront of the conversation. And uh, I think it was it was really fun to to kind of delve into why it, it is why we're still talking about it. 25 years later and you know i i would love to have you back at some point absolutely talk about something on here or i don't know how you feel about uh back in the habit but i do have a sister show to this <laughs> called franchise detours if you're right. ever in the mood to talk the sister act franchise i know oh, they're, they're doing another one eventually i'll i'll put you down I'll, I'll i'll earmark the uh the sister act the two sister act <laughs> movies for an episode down the line absolutely Awesome. Thanks so much, Phoenix. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Phoenix Cloudon from the Film Code Podcast for coming on to discuss 1996's The First Wives Club. Again, really fun discussion, really touching on a kind of more profound way of thinking about The First Wives Club that I didn't even think about until, until Phoenix and I were really delving into about how, why there is such a kind of a deeper meaning and why this movie was such a breakout hit in the fall of 1996. But I want to know, have you seen the first wives club lately? Has it, does it hold up for you? Like it does for Phoenix and I let me know. You can find me on Twitter at crooked table, also at crooked table on Instagram and via email at Robert at crooked For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back next time with a very different film. We'll be talking about The Wicker Man uh, with past and future guest Amy Otero, so stick around for that. But until then, stay crooked, everybody. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. (laughs)